1: clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of FYI, ARK's weekly podcast. Today, we have with us co-founder and CEO of Mission Control, Austin Smith, as well as James Wang, analyst here at ARK Invest. Austin Smith, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Let's start off with you know what is Mission Control and tell us a bit about your background.
0: Sure. So Mission Control is a B2B SaaS platform for Rec League Esports. What that essentially means is that we offer software to organizations who traditionally offer traditional rec leagues. So they have soccer leagues or basketball leagues. Well, we offer software so that they can also have Fortnite and FIFA leagues. This might be a local parks and rec department or a college intramural group or other community groups. Our main purpose is to gather and grow communities, and we just so happen to do that with esports rec leagues. My background is right out of college. I worked for Stadia Ventures as a venture associate. Stadia Ventures focused on early stage sports and esports companies. And I quickly realized that esports was a booming and really exciting area, but that there was focus entirely on the pro side. And just like in traditional sports, the pro market is only so expansive. You know, if you sell exclusively to pro baseball teams, that's really cool, but there's only 30 possible customers. What we realized very quickly was that that the most people who play traditional sports, there's 68 million people who play traditional team-based sports in the United States. Most of those, they're not in the pros, they're not in varsity, they're not even in high school. They're playing at the recreational level at their parks and rec departments or for fun at the YMCA and things like that we thought, well, eSports is focused on pro. They're missing the largest area of the 103 million individual gamers in the U.S. who play multiplayer games. So why don't we build a company that focuses on that? And that's what led to Mission Control.
2: That's awesome. That's a huge gap to identify. And I think Mission Control really does solve that issue because as a gamer myself, finding a rec league, is, it doesn't exist until Mission Control. So that's great. You talk about this space. Who are you partnering with today? Are these, you, you said organizations, are they schools? Are they companies? How can you get involved with mission control?
0: Yeah, so we have four different areas that we primarily focus on. We have universities, colleges, essentially, that have intramural rec departments. Like I said, they typically offer traditional sports, but especially with COVID-19 and everybody needing to be social distanced, they have Pivoted to offering only digital stuff. We worked with them before, but we came that much more relevant when they say, hey, esports can be a digital intramural. So that's one group that we work with. We also work with parks and rec departments, which is government institutions and just private institutions like YMCA's or Boys and Girls Clubs. We also work with gaming companies like Land Center's. And brands. And brands can expand from brands that want to just provide something for their community or brands that are in the gaming space that want to activate that, like GameStop. So these are our customers. We have 160 at this point, And it ranges from groups like Duke and MIT to GameStop um, to the Special Olympics. That's
2: awesome. And so how does it work? So if I'm a school, I sign up
0: with Mission Control,
2: you handle all the back end, and then players attach themselves to Mission Control and they meet up together? Or can you do it remote? Just walk us through that process a bit
0: yeah yeah so we're a two-sided platform the administrators the people who run these rec leagues typically at these organizations they log on to a platform they're the true customer of mission control because they use their admin platform they sign up for an annual subscription it's a SaaS based business they then can use our software just like any other league management software it's not too different in that They set up leagues, they choose when the dates happen, they choose the playoffs, they choose how many people can be in there, and they set up the registration. The only focus point is that we set it up to be for eSports without them having to know anything. It's super simple, easy to use. We do all the hard stuff on eSports. You don't have to know anything to get introduced and offer eSports as a community gathering tool in your community. On the other side, we have a mobile app for players. The administrators use their part to push the mobile app out to players and encourage people to join their leagues which they do so through our downloadable mobile app they download they find the organization that they want to be a part of st louis university my alma mater is offering rec leagues i can join st louis university and find out what they're offering and then join their leagues Then I see my schedule, I can match up with my teammates, I can match up with my opponents, all through this almost chat and schedule based platform. Again, very easy to use, very approachable. You don't have to be a pro gamer, it's made for people who like to be social gamers. You don't have to be good, I'm not good at gaming. But I like to play with my brother and my friends and it makes it really easy to get together and have an exciting social experience over something that I enjoy to do.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I would put myself in the bucket of not a good gamer as well. So this sounds like the perfect (laughs) platform for myself. So there's different games,
0: right? How many games are on the platform today? So, up to this point, we've had 11 games on the platform that, you know, span from mainly games that are easier to play head to head and 2v2, just as it was easier for us to test and validate the business model off of. We are just around the corner, literally in August, from launching our 2.0 product, which would offer a larger array of games that then allow us to go up to like 6v6 or even larger, meaning that the big games like LOL and Overwatch and CSGO become that much more relevant. Up to date, I mean, we've had a lot of people play in Rocket League because it's very easy to play 2v2, 3v3, and organize those games. It'll be that much more exciting when we can offer these large team games as part of what we do on our software.
2: Are there any bottlenecks associated with adding new games? I assume there's different scoring metrics. Do you guys handle that on the back end, or do you leave it up to the specific league to determine how we're going to score
0: these games? Fantastic question, and that's exactly what I mean by we take care of the difficult stuff. So you don't have to be an expert in every single game or gaming at all to know how to schedule stuff. Now, up to date, we've had to you know put in each of our systems by ourselves, which is why it takes a little bit to add those 11 games and why we just left it for there, just to simplify for starters. But one of the things that's unique to our platform is what will be released soon is a very unique and easy way for us to add games and scoring types on the back end, meaning that not only can we add a new game quickly, we can also add new scoring types that are really unique just to create a new way to play a game. If you ever played rotisserie fantasy baseball, one of the main things is that they basically take 10 stat categories and you just see how many of those 10 stat categories you can beat someone in within a week. Well, imagine doing that with Fortnite, where not only are you counting place and eliminations, but you're also counting materials used, materials destroyed, distance traveled, and headshots, all things that are calculated within Fortnite after you play the game and you see your stats at the end of the game. If you were to calculate all of those, you could play a really interesting game mode. And we have the ability to just generate that in moments on the back end. We also will be offering our higher packages to customize their own scoring types beyond just choosing the simple ones. So there's a lot of customization that is built into that as well. And that took us a long time to build the logic to, and then the software to as well. Yeah, I bet.
2: Everyone's living through the pandemic right now. It seems to be top of mind. How has it impacted mission control specifically? Because I feel like it may be a double-edged sword because you are partnered with schools and organizations where people used to gather together, but now everyone is remote. How has it impacted mission control?
0: was talking to another group earlier today, and I used the exact term double-edged sword. The reason is because, like you said, it's top of mind. Everybody's suffering in a different way right now. And it's really tough because people need each other in chaotic times, yet the the definition of this chaotic time is that we cannot be with each other. So how can you lean on your community if you can't be with your community? Well, you have to use digital mediums. And what we are is the community organizer over a digital medium. So we're something that people can use right now to lean on each other. And that has allowed us to offer true value to organizations that we really are excited to be a community builder with. So when you're talking to universities and schools and parks and rec departments that want to offer something to their community, especially in a chaotic time, we have been a tool for them. We've been an asset for them. And that feels really good. On the flip side, there are... There's a lot of long-term economic effects of having a pandemic hit and devastate our economy in the way that it has. And part of that is that some schools are closing or closing their rec department for the fall and taking away that amenity from their community because simply it's tough to be able to afford that right now. So we're starting to see that effect as well. I am optimistic that the effect of being able to be an added value asset in a tough time will outweigh the economic effect. We're also working with a lot of groups to create short-term ways for us to be able to be that asset when the economics are hard. But nonetheless, it's definitely a double-edged sword, but I'm optimistic that it'll turn on in a good way. So.
3: I was wondering what technology stack, could you maybe describe the software? I had a question from earlier. How much integration does it require to support a new game? Do you have to do any integrations with the game itself?
0: That's a great question. Web based Angular on the admin side, and we're native on the mobile side. And what we have focused on for the beginning, and just again, like there's a long way we can play with this product. And I have beautiful long term visions, and we'll get there someday, taking steps toward it every day. But for now, what we focused on was the simplicity of offering this to our customers, our customers, and our players. And part of that was saying, hey. Why don't we just, it's it's rec leagues. It's not too serious. There's not a hundred thousand dollars on the table. Yes. People can be mean and cheat or try, you know, dumb stuff like that. But for the most part, people don't want to cheat their friends. They're here to have fun. This is a rec league. So we have been depending primarily on self-reporting and validation and then reporting of errors outside of that. And honestly, it's gone extremely well. Our players are very happy with it. It's, generally like the basic way, a lot of basic tournaments start anyways. And what it allowed for us to do is just have a simple enter and check sequence instead of a very detailed integration sequence. Now, there's a lot of cool things that can happen with integrations. I like the idea of it and moving towards that direction. But right now, being able to just offer the idea of just, hey, I mean, you played FIFA against me, you beat me one to zero, you put that score and I just click accept. No problem. That covers 99% of our games. 1%, there's a problem or a mishap or somebody actually doing something to Farris and, okay, we'll deal with that case by case. Uh, We've been able to deal with that. We've come up with solutions and that's worked. A lot of other companies have too, but keep it as simple as really allowed us to grow. And that's
3: where we are right now. I see. So you don't need any hooks into the game. The player basically performs a bit of data entry.
0: As we get more advanced, we will need some hooks or they would certainly add value, but
3: no, not, not off the top. What's the relationship being like, if any, with the game developers or publishers themselves? Do they need to be involved? Are they interested? Do you prefer to stay at arm's length with them? It's multifaceted because publishers
0: all have different opinions on how they want to interact with their titles. But on the biggest side is that we are offering structure. You could play Fortnite or Warzone off the same structure in our game right now. All you're counting is eliminations or kills and placement. And that is the same for Battle Royale games. So other than how many people are in the match with Apex, it's 60 and Fortnite is 100. And for Warzone, it's 150. There's not a variable that we necessarily have to change. And I say that to make a point that you don't necessarily have to build out something specific to each game, you just have to build out something to each game type. And the game types are not unique. Battle Royale is not unique to a developer or publisher. Essentially what we are offering is just the ability to adapt a scoring structure for a league to a specific title and they can choose which title they want it to be. So in a way we're at an arm's length in that direction. That being said is there's a lot of cool things that can happen when we partner with a publisher. I think a lot of those discussions, I mean, I've had a good handful of them. They're positive, they're exciting, and someday, you know, we'll we'll show you what we're dreaming up. Right now, I'm going to keep it under wraps.
2: From your perspective, serving this, it seems like an underserved market in the rec space. Do other platforms like Twitch or some of these platforms that sit atop just the pure gaming, active gaming ecosystem... Do they really address what you're trying to address, or who are your competitors today, if any?
0: There's definitely a lot of groups that I would call an indirect competitor at the least. There's a lot of cool groups that there that are trying to gather and grow communities in esports. And I mean, like I said, at its core, that's what we're trying to do. I think what differentiates us is that we are incredibly hyper focused and focused on activating organizations to do that so what i mean by hyper focus on the first part is that we're very focused on a we're not specifically for hardcore gamers we're not specifically for pro gamers what we care about is the person who plays sometimes and typically to play with friends they might not call themselves a gamer i don't identify as a gamer myself i love video games but i Never really play by myself. I only play to hang out with my friends, and especially during a pandemic, whether it be Civilization or Warzone or Fortnite, it's just a way to spend time with people I like to spend time with. And we have hyper-focused on the idea that gaming is a social experience, not necessarily one that's competitive and one that you try and win money off of or need to be excellent at. For me, that's the same thing as rec league soccer. Like I said, I'm not good at soccer either, but I love playing soccer. And I love hanging out with my soccer team and you know, hanging out Thursday nights and drinking beers after the game and meet up with my old college friends. Like That's the purpose of rec league soccer to me. In the same way, that's how we approach rec league gaming. And I don't think there's a single other company out there that approaches gaming in that social, that community-based of a way. Now, there are community social platforms like Discord. There are other competitive and tournament and organizer platforms in specific areas. you got Play Versus doing awesome stuff in high school and college. You've got all sorts of college-specific groups. You've got stuff higher up like World Gaming and Tournament and Battlefy, and then you have the pros. And I think all of those are relevant other teammates in our industry that will help grow this industry overall. I see them as groups that I'd love to partner with because I think that we can find a large group of people that enjoy gaming and might be interested in some of their services, but I have no interest in moving up to what they're doing. I like being right there at the bottom, offering gaming as this social community experience. And I think that at its core is incredibly different.
2: When you look at the, the rec sports market and typically esports. Or specifically esports, I should say. You mentioned 108 million gamers around the globe, right? How big can this market get, and is it larger than the pro level esports? Talk us through this market opportunity.
0: Yeah, for sure. And just to to make sure we're on the same page, there, I have it as 103 million gamers 103. in the United States who play multiplayer video games so you have 164 to 200 million people who play video games in the united states and that's you know from a couple different sources that's like two-thirds of the population but when you narrow down who plays multiplayer video games with other people that's at 103 million which is a massive group of people and that's just in the united states and when you look at it again the u.s census bureau did the American Time Use survey, and they actually have it as those people who are spending time playing games. If the average of people who play games is two hours a day, and the Entertainment Software Association, they actually have people as playing together at eight hours a week. So that you have, you know, playing video games with other people, 103 million playing an average of eight hours a week or two hours a day in total that's a lot of gaming happening. That's a lot of social interaction. That's a lot more than people spend playing sports, especially adults spend playing rec league sports. I don't know about you, but my body just couldn't take two hours of soccer every day, but my thumb can take two hours of Warzone every day. And I have no problem with that either. That's where it becomes this key social, like foundational social piece is that There's so many people who do this at such a massive scale. And that's just the United States. And in some ways, the United States isn't even some of the biggest gamers in the world, especially when you look at the East between Korea and China. And that's where this market, especially the rec market, is massive. And especially when you, I I would draw comparisons to traditional, to youth sports here. When you say traditional pro sports and traditional youth sports, the markets are the same size, even though all you see is everything in the pro side. The markets are pretty much the same size when you look at youth sports. If not, youth sports is even bigger. Wow. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. You, you typically just hear about the pro level. You don't even think about all the money and
0: time involved in getting to the pro level, which most people do not get to. Well, think about this. The global esports market was at like 1.3 billion this year. Mm-hmm. But the the global video game market, the sale of computers and video games and so on, I believe is, and I, again, I think it's global, but I believe it's around 27 billion. So when you're looking at the people who play and spend money on video games versus the amount of money spent on esports, Video games as a larger area, it's massive compared to eSports. And that's because a lot of people will spend money to play games. Only so many people are playing on that pro side. And pro will only get bigger and it's super exciting. And I endorse that it should be celebrated and grow. I'm just pointing out that there's a lot of money being spent that's not on the pros. And that's where we're at.
2: Are there any future partnerships with this pro level or varsity level from mission control could it be a feeder system into the collegiate level because i know a lot of universities are you know starting to build out actual
0: esports teams have there been any talks around that i think there are possibilities there and i'm open to discussing it but i do want to underline the idea that we are not interested in trying to be where you go if you want to go to pros, right? Like, this is not meant to be a feeder system. It's not meant to be an amateur gamer play, like a building system. Perhaps an amateur gaming group wants to use our software because that's the easiest way for them to grow their company. We are focused on building a software that makes it easier for all gamers to play in a recreational community social way. And that's what we're going to continue focusing on. If we want to set up a partnership with a group that's higher than us because they see it as a feeder system, I'm more than happy to explore that. But as far as what our brand will be focusing on, it's the community gathering and growing side, which does not necessarily mean focusing on amateur growth. I think it can happen, just not my priority. Gotcha. Daniel, do you have any more?
3: Yeah, Austin, I'd love to know the founding story a bit more, and also kind of what it's like to build a startup based in St. Louis. The VC community has talked a while about you don't have to be in the San Francisco Bay Area or New York to do a a startup anymore. I think you guys are a good proof point for that. Of course, with the coronavirus, there's more interest than ever of developing and growing companies outside of the major tech hubs. Did you feel there were certain advantages, disadvantages doing it geographically where your guys are based? How did the university, if at all, get involved? And maybe talk about your recent seed round that you raised.
0: I would love to, on all those fronts, you hit on one of my very big passion pieces, which is building companies and building the economy here in St. Louis and the Midwest in general. The founding story to start off with, my co-founder and I, Byron, met on the first day of college and have worked together in an informal like, club and school stuff to actual formal jobs. The joke is that I got him every job he's ever had, but then he's outperformed me at every single job because we've worked so much along the way at every single company together for the most part. We just are a good team. He is one of those people who just gets shit done. (laughs) On the other hand, I like to dream big and he kind of brings me back to the ground after I'm like, okay, we got this big idea, man. Okay, now let's focus. He's really instrumental, couldn't do it without him uh, sort of founder. My brother is also a co-founder of the company. He's somebody who I would call a gamer. So he brings us (laughs) that level of expertise. He and I kind of came up with the general idea in concept at first of, hey, this is like what we do to hang out. This is our social experience. So all of that happened before we joined Stadia Ventures. Then at Stadia Ventures, learned a ton about startup, and venture capital, and investing. Learned a lot from the entrepreneurs who we invested in there, who were great mentors for us along the way. Stadia is also a St. Louis-based venture capital firm, yes. founded by the former Center Director for Entrepreneurship at St. Louis University, which is Byron and I's alma mater. So you can see the connections here. We kind of just accidentally fell into that and learned a ton. And it happened to be in sports and esports. And after already being passionate about that before we even started there, we learned a lot for a couple of years and then decided, hey, this is time. The market is blowing up now. This is really exciting. And there's still a hole here. So why don't we go address it? And this is after trying to invest in a company that could potentially solve that problem. We couldn't find it, which is why we decided to quit our jobs and build it. I am born and raised St. Louis. Byron's from Ohio, and transferred in college is a transplant to St. Louis. I'm very passionate about building the community and, and economy here, and I think there's a couple of things that are factors of that. One is that St. Louis is an incredibly supportive community. There's a reason in. The past couple of years, it's been named as a top place for college grads, a top place for your first job, a top place for starting a business, and you know, these are by you know top publications. And the reason is because one, you have a very supportive ecosystem. It's got the like the most accelerators per capita for startups, and that's because there's so many teaching programs here. It's got top-ranked universities and entrepreneurship between Washington University and St. Louis University. In general, because the community, I mean, a lot of people call it small city, big town. And the reason is because we've got a couple of Fortune 500 companies here. And if I wanted to speak to any one of them, they're a second degree connection and a yes, Midwestern coffee away. Like it's just everybody wants to support the growth of this community. And because of that desire to support the growth of the community, every startup is celebrated. And we announced our funding today, which is like our first time really jumping into the city spotlight with uh, publicly saying, hey, we're a company raised seed found- around with institutional funding. And right now I've got 100 on red text on my phone from people in the community who are just like, yes, let's build this, let's grow this, let's get you some more employees and let's grow this company for the betterment of the community. And that sort of push behind me. It's not just me and a dog-eat-dog San Francisco. It's me and a whole freaking city behind me trying to build a company that, yes, is exciting for me, but that the city wants to rally behind. That's a really cool community feeling. It underlines the purpose of mission control, being a community gatherer and grower, but it also is just saying, hey, any entrepreneur can come here and the city will support you in that way. The, the second part of this to add on that is that I haven't felt too many downsides of being here because... It's easy for me to get anywhere in the U.S. We're parked here in the middle. We have a airport with Southwest that goes anywhere. Lots of direct flights to San Diego and San Francisco and New York. No problem with getting anywhere there. And it's super affordable. If you like first class, that's a downside, but I don't mind (laughs) Southwest. So we're good. And it's super affordable. Hiring people is affordable and they actually get more bang for their buck because the cost of living here is so low comparatively. I can go on about this. I already have for long enough, but it's just something I'm super excited about. And that's why St. Louis will be a growing city in the
3: next couple of years. As the city or the university or at a policy level, has there been anything done specifically to cultivate this culture of supporting the local builders that you speak of?
0: Yeah, so I think this first thing that happened was a group called Arch Grants that was a group of benefactors in the city that said that they were going to give $50,000 grants to 20 companies a year to just move to St. Louis for at least a year and start their company or build their company in st louis it was completely equity free just fifty thousand dollars here you go move to st louis build your company and that just started off a firestorm of support and if i'm not if i got my dates correct that was around 2012 by the time 2015 rolled around you had a lot of other groups piggybacking off the idea that hey let's build this together we had you know there's groups like I-10 or biogenerator that support tech companies and bio companies specifically. Um, We have a long history of bio companies in St. Louis specifically because of Washington University and St. Louis University both being medical powerhouses and Washington University in particular being heavy on research. A lot of support from those type of organizations have been a big factor. And there has been some policy, although I'm not sure what is enacted today, but there are certainly past policies that helped grow those three specific organizations that then led towards the firestorm of today. I will tell you that most of it is all rooted in economic development for the city. And the city has gone all in on building the city's future based on startups. And I think that is what has been so
3: helpful in so many organizations popping up. And you raised $1.7 million round this yeah. week. Tell us about how that came about. How did you reach the valuation? What percentage did you give up? Any terms you're willing to disclose?
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, of course. So we started searching in February for the round. We started planning in January and we were had a lot of fantastic meetings. We were growing quickly at that point, even before the pandemic. And managed to hit like 20 cities in 25 days, met with a lot of, really great people and right before we were getting to a point where we could actually formalize around the, the pandemic hit and everything was put on pause for a little bit luckily the groups that we were talking to are really dedicated and excited groups and they also saw the value that we added during and also regardless of the pandemic and thanks to them even after just a month delay we were able to sign a term sheet around mid-april got a lot of great groups together a lot of really star power midwest groups together to help us build the company. And the unfortunate part is that we had uh, a lot of groups that were interested, especially in the Midwest, that were interested in being a part of. And we just couldn't have enough uh, room in the round to fit everyone in. There's just a lot of people on the economic side and then just the intelligence side who are really excited about building things here in the Midwest. And thankfully, we got their support. Dundee led the round. David Mann is a great advisor and guide to us along the way. He's the person who led the investment. We added M25 to the round. They're the most active investor in multiple states in the US. They're the only one who has multiple states. So they're a fantastic supporter of the Midwest and also just great stewards of companies in general. Mike Ason, I've known him for a while there and he's a great guy. We also have Math Venture Partners who brings a lot of intelligent sales experience to the table. And Cultivation Capital, who is a St. Louis-based VC firm as well, who brings some really cool experience to the table too. So them and a couple of other investors and our former investor that came through, we're really excited about everybody who decided to support us in a rather crazy time during a pandemic, but understanding that there's a lot of growth for
3: this market regardless, and if not, especially at this time. And for 1.75 million, what stake do they get to buy?
0: We sold about a quarter of the company. So just right there is a typical venture round. We're on the early side, and I think that's notable. Very typical. Did you
3: ever consider accelerators like YC and stuff like that?
0: I love accelerators. We're part of an equity-free accelerator program up in Toronto called the Future of Sport Lab that was super awesome and super helpful. We kind of built our own coming out of Stadia Ventures, which was an accelerator as well. We knew a lot of really star-powered advisors and people who put all of their time and effort into building companies and have a lot of experience at that level. And I'd love to give each of them a shout out right now. But what we did is we actually built two advisory boards, one of focused industry advisors who are experts in the area. And then one of what we call our brain trust which you know we kind of steal from Pixar and Ed Catmull's book Creativity Inc of just people who help you you know think through things and creatively get inspired and these were a dozen individuals who all came from our experience at Stadia or some of our personal lives that have a lot of business experience or perspective or just excellent in multiple different ways and it came you know from executives at Ticketmaster and Under Armour and the Dallas Mavs and numerous other groups, that's where these people represent and they're just really intelligent people. So to one degree, we built our own accelerator because we knew who we wanted to advise us. And as far as first being a first-time entrepreneur, certainly a first-time young entrepreneur, that was incredibly helpful for Byron and I's formation of the business. So yes, but we kind of did it our own way.
2: Do you think that this pandemic is going to
0: help the gaming ecosystem
2: permanently? I think maybe a lot of people have focused on gaming now because there isn't live sports on TV. How do you think this is going to play out down the line? And how do you think mission control is going to be a part of it?
0: I'll say this. I don't want to go on the I- like the idea that gaming is better for this pandemic because I don't think anyone is necessarily better for this pandemic I think what may be the effect is that gaming, what was inevitable about gaming, which I believe was the adoption of gaming as a pro sport and entertainment sphere, the adoption of gaming as a rec sport and entertainment sphere, something moving towards not the dystopian, but the exciting part of the social experience of like Ready Player One, where that is where people spend their time because that's where some of their friends are in this gaming virtual world. And that's what their social life is, is gaming not to that degree necessarily, and certainly not to the dystopian level that that movie brings it to, which is, you know, exciting and imaginative. But what I think what we're moving towards is that idea that gaming can be a social, if not the social medium for some people, and it already is. And that being accepted wide wide stream. And I think that is happening faster than it would have without the pandemic. And that has accelerated. I don't think gaming will be any bigger because I think the, the ceiling that we are moving towards for gaming was inevitable anyways. On our role in that, I think, yeah, it's very possible that we were also accelerated by it. It's hard for me to tell because we were just starting to really push growth in January, February anyways. And then suddenly we just got this boost from people saying, oh, I need a community digital organizer and oh, here we are. It's very possible that we have a similar level of growth in a different way over the same amount of time. But I think it's more than likely that we got a big boost from the beginning side. I just don't know if on the end, like we talked about earlier, the double-edged sword, if we will also have a negative effect of the economy coming back to hit people. Because unfortunately, we're seeing some of our customers, and it hurts, lose their jobs because they don't have a rec department before anymore or something like that. So what I'm worried about the long-term economic effect of this, I don't think necessarily is going to be good for anyone or certainly not a good portion of the population. And for that, I'm not quite excited about. So I hope towards the end of, we can get to the end of this quickly and get back to focusing on having fun on video games and everything else in the meantime.
2: Yeah. I couldn't agree more with your point of view here that, this was a trend that was already in motion and maybe this just sped it up a bit because if you do go back and look at even last year, one year ago, there's all this buzz on these secondary platforms like Twitch that you allow people to enjoy games passively. Twitch last year was doing, I think, almost 900 million average hours watched per month. And then I've just looked at these numbers this week. It's now with you know the pandemic and no sports. It's jumped to 1.4 billion hours a month, watched per week. But the trend, if you go back to 2018, it was already growing. So this does just kind of put it into perspective that the trend was here and now we're just speeding up and it's bringing adoption faster, which is a great point.
0: Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. I agree there and it probably was accelerated, but it was heading in that direction anyways.
2: All right. Awesome. This has been great. It has been great to get to hear about Mission Control and your founding story and your thoughts on the gaming ecosystem at large. We wish you the best of luck going forward. Congratulations on your recent rounds.
0: Thank you guys so much for having me. Really enjoyed this. And if you're interested in learning more about Mission Control, check out missioncontrol.gg. Thank you for coming on.